With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. You know, you guys never give me a heads up about what we're going to play in that open. Who said that? Who said, is that the guy that eats mustard and pees in his pants? No idea. Oh, really? That sounded like it was a guest. Seton got to have to check with our, our, our open guy, but I've never heard that clip before. I think it's custom just for that open. Oh, got it. Awesome. Well, it is true. Ross Tucker, the former journeyman NFL offensive lineman, filling in for Dan today on a perfect day. I mean, first of all, when I get the text or the call from Paulie, can you come in on January, what is it, the 5th? Paulie, what was my initial response? Is that a Friday? First of all, I don't talk like that. No, not at all. Secondly, I definitely don't text like that. Do you, do you, have, you have a text voice for me? When you text, it's entertaining for me to read the text in my head in your voice. <laughs> well, anyway, it's an unbelievable. First, I love anytime I get a chance to be with you guys, any chance I get a chance to fill in for Dan. But are you kidding me with this weekend? I mean, week 18 in the NFL with two awesome games tomorrow, the rest on Sunday, Monday night, the college football national championship with two undefeated teams, which I feel like is pretty rare, right? That the two undefeated teams both won in the semifinals against teams that had one loss. And then obviously everything going on with the awards and the draft. And there was no NFL last night. I got to be honest with you. There was some awesome NBA last night. I mean, Wemby against Giannis, that was amazing. Uh, Jokic, does he ever even miss? And then he makes that shot. I love his quote. I don't know if we're going to play it later or not, but they said, did you call bank on that? And he's like, uh, my friend, it went in. I'm happy. <laughs> it was awesome. So very much looking forward to the next three hours, especially 11.45 a.m. Eastern time, which I believe is when the brats will be ready. They actually take requests for Meet Friday because the guy said, Ross, what do you want for Meet Friday? I requested brats. So that for my drive back to Pennsylvania after the show, I can take, I can get it like a, a half full cup of spicy mustard and then like three brats and dip them in like old school fun dip. You guys remember fun dip oh, back sure. in the day? Oh, the best. By the way, so task night for my fraternity, freshman year of college, I had to eat 16 raw hot dogs. Oh, dear. One of my buddies had to do 64 slices of processed oil-based cheese. But the other guy, (laughs) the other guy, okay, had two sticks of butter and a Hawaiian punch bowl. He had to dip the sticks of butter in the Hawaiian punch and eat it like it was fun dip. Nutritious. That was brutal. I thought I got off pretty. I mean, hot dogs are just baloney. Like I, I thought I got off pretty good. Oh, actually. that's true. You know, when you put it that way, hot and dogs are actually, just baloney, and, and they're actually already cooked. You're really just heating them up. Like you ever had fried cooked. bologna? I have had fried yeah, bologna. Yeah, that's 
That's where it's at right there. Delicious. Yeah, Paulie. Going back to when you were in the league, you were what, like 310, 315 at your peak? I used to go to training camp around 325, 325. And, pl- and play between 310 and 315. So during the summer, were you trying to put on weight and keep your weight high So because you knew it would come off? Is that part of it as a lineman? Well, so going into my second year, I was, and after that, it was actually the opposite. Okay, so, <laughs> so when you're like 23 and you're trying to get your weight up for the season, do you have to eat like certain kind of foods and decent kind of foods, or you could have like seven bratwurst because all you're doing is trying to get calories. So the only way I remember it is I remember it from like fast food restaurants. And I would say starting in 10th grade of high school, right? So I gained three inches and 30 pounds a year for like four straight years. So ninth grade, I was 5'8", 150. 10th grade, six foot 175. 11th grade, 6'3", 210. Senior year, 6'4", 245. So I was averaging like three inches and 30 pounds a year for and like four years. And you're trying to put on weight. Yes. And so when I would go to Subway, I would get two footlongs, double meat with bacon, two footlong BMTs, and I would, I would eat them both. And then even when I was in the NFL, when I first found out about like Chipotle – in Dallas, I was playing for the Cowboys. I would get two Chipotle burritos and and crush them both, dude. You know how those things are as big as my big head. Like it's like there is no way somebody should be able to eat two burritos. I didn't know any different. Like I I didn't know that normal humans like didn't order two burritos. Like I ordered two burritos and I ate them. <laughs> now like I now I get a burrito bowl. Now I'm so lame I don't even get a burrito. So anyway, I just want everybody to get the visual of me in the car, on the way home, because I had to have one hand for the old steering wheel there. So dipping brats in spicy mustard. You guys actually have multiple options with spicy mustard out there. We're going to have to go over this because this is this is a very important choice. Uh, and it's also a very important weekend. This is the weirdest weekend for the NFL every year because you have these like win and you're in, it means everything game, Texans against the Colts. And then there's other games where it's like backup quarterback Palooza. Like, we, we have a Sam Darnold-Carson Wentz game. I can't wait, by the way. That score is going to be like 42-39, and next week people are like, they should start somewhere next year. Those guys deserve a chance to start. That's what happens when you're like a top-five pick, and you're talented, and you get a chance to show what you can do. But this weekend, to me, it's really big for two things, or three things. Number one, it's all the playoffs and the playoff seating, and we know that. Number two, it's the draft. And the draft order, which is a very real deal, right? Like that that changes franchises. And then number three, and we're going to talk to Chase Daniel a little bit later in the show about this, backup quarterbacks. You know the way a backup quarterback works, right? You get a chance to start. If you play well, you buy yourself like three more years in the league. You get a chance to play and you pee down your leg, you're probably out of the league the next year. Like, for these backup quarterbacks, these games in Week 18 make a big, big difference. We're going to get into college football with my guy, David Pollock. Awesome, awesome dude. In about 15 minutes. And then at 10.20 a.m. Eastern Time, we'll be joined by Tommy Curran from NBC Sports Boston. There's two really important things to talk about with Tommy. Number one, Belichick. I mean, it's very, very possible. I don't maybe likely that this is his last game ever coaching for the Patriots. The idea of him not breaking Shula's record for the Patriots never really occurred to me until this year. But it seems like that's a real possibility. And then Tommy is a voter for the AP awards, so you got Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. Comeback Player of the Year, which is like the weirdest award, MVP. So I want to get into that a little bit with him because I feel like there's not a consensus on a lot of these awards. And how about this? Like, Defensive Player of the Year, I don't think Miles Garrett is going to play for the Browns on Sunday because they're sitting Joe Flacco. But then Micah Parsons will play for the Cowboys. So what happens if, like, Micah Parsons has three sacks because the commanders are not good and Miles Garrett doesn't play, and as a result, the Cowboys get the number two seed and they win the NFC East. Is that enough? Do you think a voter takes into account that Miles Garrett didn't play the last game, or do they just look at the stats and see quarterback hits and sacks and 
forced fumbles and all that stuff. It, it seems like sitting can help you. Like Lamar Jackson's got it. He's all set for the MVP. But like, like if TJ Watt has two strip sack fumbles, does it? Like if it's especially it's, since that's a standalone game. Yeah, it's the only game on tomorrow, four thirty p.m. Eastern time. You could kind of steal maybe ten percent of the vote at the end if the vote was close. Maybe. Correct. There's a very real chance Micah Parsons is the runner-up for the third straight year. Can you guys think, are there like NBA MVPs or NFL? I can't think of another guy for a major award that got second three years in a row. I feel like there's an NBA guy that finally broke through, maybe even like in the 80s or 90s. Was it Barkley that was always knocking at the door and almost the MVP and then he finally won it once? I think Barkley was second one year, even though he had more first-place votes than Magic Johnson. Yes. But I'm not sure if it three years in a row. Sounds ridiculous, though. I mean, that's rough. I mean, because, listen, Micah Parsons, if he was already three-time defensive player of the year his first three years, he would already be going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame after three years. He would be the earliest guy that's a lock for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he's been this close. The last three years. Yeah, Paulie. I've got MVP runner-up history. Kind of easy to find, believe it or not. Larry Bird finished second four times for the MVP, and I think he won three. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan finished second for the MVP four times. Wow. But, both, that, though, but both those guys won it but imagine pretty like, early. That means Bird could have had six or seven, or right. Jordan could have had, what did, I don't know how many, eight? It'd be that close. Kobe, uh, Kevin Durant's a three-time runner-up. LeBron's a three-time runner-up. So I'm looking forward to talking with Tom about some of those awards. Like my my, I think the weirdest award is the Comeback Player of the Year award. I don't even know what that means. Like comeback from what? I guess I think Flacco should win it, but it, what's he coming back from? The couch. A lot. Every time I look, the the guy with the best odds was Demar Hamlin. But last I checked, I think he had played eight snaps this year I on think, defense. I, I think five snaps uh, on defense. But according to Comeback Player of the Year rationale that's given to the voters, it's for an award for overcoming adversity in the prior season. It, it could be performance. It could be injury. It could be not even being in the league. So you could like just have a bad year the year before and be in. By the way, I um, last night stayed at the Stanford Marriott up here in Connecticut. As soon as I checked in... I got an email. Congratulations. You've achieved lifetime platinum elite status. I'd like to thank all the little people, like my bosses, that have made this happen over the years by assigning me to so many nights at Merit. I have a question. How should I feel about that? Do you get anything with that, like a bonus access or go cut the line? Yeah, well, Platinum Elite, Platinum Elite's high. Like, I get all the bonus points. I always get the late checkout, all that stuff. But, like, I emailed my wife, and she was like, congratulations, we should celebrate. And I was like, really? Like, should we celebrate, or is it like, that's actually kind of sad that you stayed in the Marriott for 600 nights? I guess it's both, right? I mean, like, your career is going so well that you're traveling all over the place, but it's time away from your family. At least here's what I would say, right? You're going you're gonna to make those trips anyway. At least now your points don't disappear at the end of the year. Where you're like, right. what did I do all this for? Now i got to use a hotel room that I don't even need because I don't want to burn these points. You know what's so funny, too? As I was driving up here yesterday, I called Marriott because I didn't get my three nights for the Army-Navy game because it was comped. And if it's comped, like they don't give you the nights. So I did the thing where I, I paid for two sodas at at like the uh, store there oh. so that I had a charge but they still didn't give me the three nights so that's always a fun one too it's like how much time am I going to spend on this phone trying to get these three like like how important is it really to me in like the big scheme of life but I think that's where the value is of now being platinum elite for life I don't think I need to fight over those platinum three nights anymore platinum elite for life platinum elite for life oh Mr. Tucker thank you we see your platinum elite here's your water and cookie thank you <laughs> oh yeah that's right. Yes, Paul. I don't know if you remember back in the day, if you ever stayed at the Double Tree, they used to give you the warm chocolate chip cookie upon, upon entrance. And that was, I didn't even need a bed in my room. As long as that cookie was there, that was fantastic. But, you- hey, that's so funny. Did you guys see on social media <laughs> at Ross Tucker NFL my move last week? 
Oh, heating up the chocolate chip cookies. Did you see that? I did. <laughs> Respect. So there was like quesadillas and hot dogs. Okay, but the but the we're at the Bears game. Falcons Bears. I'm in the booth. We're it's halftime. I was doing the game for CBS. It was amazing, by the way, like a bucket list, right? Like I'm calling a game, a Bears game at Soldier Field in the snow for CBS. It was incredible. So right when half, right before halftime starts, I noticed they have cookies over there, but they're like hard cookies, which I don't understand either. Like if we all agree as a society that soft cookies are better than hard cookies, why do they make hard cookies? Why, why do they still mass-produce hard cookies? Does anybody here, any callers, any anybody, anybody on social media, I'm at Ross Tucker NFL, we're at DP Show, does anybody genuinely like a hard, like, chocolate chip cookie as opposed to a soft chocolate chip you, cookie? You mean, like, more crispy? A little more, like, no, like when you break it apart? You, you know what I'm talking about, Paul. Yeah. It's either a hard, it's either, like, hard when you touch it, or soft, like, you can almost bend it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Everybody likes soft. But anyway, so I took two of the hard cookies and I put them on top of the hot dog cooker. Thing. There you go. So that, and then I went in the bathroom. So the only flaw in this was that the other people wanted to get a hot dog, but I had blocked their hot dog access. And you're probably bigger than those people. Be, right. I blocked their hot dog access by putting two of the cookies on top of the thing. It's a tough move when dessert is blocking the main course there. <laughs> you're kind of dessert blocked. By the way, I want to make sure to do a couple of things. I want to shout out everybody that gives us a buzz at 877-3DP-SHOW. You can email us, dp at danpatrick.com. Of course, go to danpatrick.com, at show on Twitter. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL, any social media you're on, right? So TikTok, Instagram, I think I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Ross Tucker NFL. want to welcome in everybody watching live on Peacock, including my mom, Sandy. Live on Peacock, my mother-in-law, Rachel. Thank you guys for watching. All of the Fox Sports Radio affiliates. And yes, I know a lot of you will hit me up later because you listen or or I guess just listen on podcast. I got one of those as well, Ross Tucker Podcast. But I do appreciate your social media posts eight hours from now. I like hard cookies, like like as if it's live because you're listening (laughs) on podcast. By the way, what I'm looking forward to, TireRack.com, the official tire expert and retailer of the Dan Patrick Show. Go to TireRack.com slash Dan. Try the tire decision guide and see the full line of Firestone tires. Special offers, free road hazard protection, and mobile tire installation. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. By the way, this is people don't know. I had no idea we were going to talk about any of that in that segment right there. Like the cookie thing, the Marriott thing, like no idea. That's why this show is awesome. That's why you guys have the best audience. Love the Danettes. Love to be in here. Can't wait to talk with David Pollock. There's a lot of college football stuff to get to. It is 17 minutes past the hour. Dan Patrick Show. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Two NBA insiders podcasting twice a week to plug you right into the NBA grapevine. All happening in only one place. This League Uncut, the new NBA podcast with me, Chris Haynes. And me, Mark Stein. Join us as we team up to expound on everything we're covering, hearing, and chasing. Listen to This League Uncut with Chris Haynes and Mark Stein on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, 
pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Man, the tweets, or whatever we call them now, are coming in fast and furious. We'll be joined by my guy, David Pollack, one of the best college football analysts out there momentarily. You know, people are making a good point. I'm looking at all the people that are tweeting me at Ross Tucker NFL. They're either saying hard cookies suck or they're saying hard cookies are meant to be dipped or dunked in milk. And this is specifically chocolate chip cookies, right? Right. And I think that's a fair point because if you dip a soft cookie in the milk, it's going to like evaporate. It's gone. So you need a hard, like an Oreo or like a hard. Is it so that. So is it fair to say everybody agrees that soft cookies are better than hard cookies, but you would only use a hard cookie to dunk it in milk? Is that fair, Marv? I don't eat hard cookies. Soft cookies only. But like See, okay, when yeah, you say ahead. a hard cookie, like a chocolate chip cookie is Why chip- do you keep asking like like you don't know what I'm talking about with a hard cookie? Well, like a, a chip everybody ahoy. Everybody on social media. Yes, a <laughs> chips ahoy. Okay, so that's the, that's the standard, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Calm down. <laughs> but you've asked like three times for clarity on a hard cookie versus in terms the soft. of the hard cookie situation. Can you, be, you need- can you be in between the two? Can you be like kind of crispy? No, no. Seaton, what? You gotta put I'm it up not, for a poll. I'm more. Oh yeah, we definitely we're putting up there right now. Which type of chocolate chip cookie do you prefer, hard or soft? Uh, very pressing. We also have up there. Uh, who are you rooting for, uh, Washington or Michigan? Oh, man, I don't think there's going to be many people rooting for Michigan, right? I don't, I'm, I'm curious. Let's bring in my guy, David Pollack. Uh, he's such a stud, such an awesome analyst, has been for so long, the three-time All-American at Georgia. Anybody, if you're a three-time All-American, all that tells me is you didn't go pro early enough. That's all I know. <laughs> David, it's Ross Tucker, man. Really appreciate the time. How are you a three-time All-American? Why didn't you leave school early the year before? Uh, I could have uh, wanted to stay to win a natty, but it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> we weren't really quite as good as these classes, man, that they've had the last several years. But um, I was a freshman All-American, too, but that doesn't count. Um, but the cookie debate is amazing. I don't eat cookies ever, um, but I always was the, the philosophy of the softer cookies you put in the microwave and you heat them up, and then the harder cookies, yes, you can. Di- I think you dip in milk. But do y'all, y'all ever heat the soft cookies up? So just to make them warm. Yes. Yeah. Just, okay. So let's talk about that, by the way, because I noticed the last couple of years on game day when they would bring food out, you wouldn't eat it. So no. like, let, let's talk. So, so what is this about? I, I know you're ripped and I know you're, is it just uh, discipline? Is it overall health? Is it just, you want to make sure you have the six pack abs? Like, what are we doing here? All of the above. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's, I, I eat my, I eat the same food every single day. Um, and I'm very strict. I don't. I don't touch 
you know, uh, fried foods. I don't touch alcohol. I don't touch sweets. I haven't in ever. Um, in a, I haven't touched sweets in like 15 years. I haven't touched alcohol, um, which I've said like twice in my life, but like just very regimented, very strict. I want to know what's going in my body. Okay. Ross, listen, we can both agree on this. We've both been fat. Okay. <laughs> We've both been large. I'm just not trying to go back anymore. And I got to be very healthy in what I choose because my metabolism ain't like a lot of people's. All right. So, See, see, this is what happens on the Dan Patrick Show. I have, like, all these college football questions, but now I have to know what you eat the same thing every day. Because, by the way, I am very similar to you. I eat pretty much the same thing Monday through Thursday, but then I travel so much on the weekends, I'm going to yeah. enjoy the city I'm in. Like, when I was in Chicago last weekend, I got a steak at Gibson's, right? Like, I'm going to enjoy that. And But I have to be disciplined during the week to be able to do that and not go back up to 300. So what do you eat every day? Well, food is fuel to me, um, but I do a, a carton of egg whites oat, and oats. Um, that's always my breakfast, which I eat like around 12 or 1. Then I do uh, Greek yogurt and blueberries is always my next meal. And then at night, my wife always makes um, some form of like fish, chicken, uh, steak with vegetables. So that's that's you, that's my everyday uh, throwing a pro- throwing a protein shake in the morning, a protein shake at night, and that's my everyday uh, lifestyle. Talking with the guy David Pollock, who, as you can tell, if you're watching on Peacock, is absolutely shredded. What do you weigh right now? Uh, two forty. Yeah, he is a yoked two forty. Speaking of egg whites, let's dive into some of this college stuff. You know what's funny, by the way, David? You're the per- perfect person to talk to about this. All the talk about the college football playoff and the four best teams. You know, I have a betting podcast, and I was asking the guy, do you know that Georgia would have been favored on a neutral field against all four of those teams? So the whole notion of Alabama getting in over Florida State, because we got to do it with the four best teams, that was always false. That, that was never the truth, because it wasn't the four best teams, because I still think Georgia might be the best team, David. Yeah, and, and I'm with you. But but the, the committee's been very consistent, by the way. They don't put in the four best teams. They always put in the four teams that can justify the best. That's what they've always done. That's what they're always continue to do. Um, but the cool thing is, Ross, in the future, we got 12 teams. And we're guaranteed to have the four best when we're picking out of 12. And it's going to be decided on the, on the field, which will be uh, super, super cool. But Georgia's, man, they're just – they're so talented, uh, banged up at the end of the year, played their worst game against Alabama. Alabama uh, played really good. Georgia, uh, you know, caught some – had a bad turnover inside their own uh, 10, missed a field goal, and, and lost by three, you know. And, and that was including with some guys that were dinged up. So, yeah, I think a healthy Georgia team was, was the best team in the country. But we've said that a lot about a lot of different teams, and you got to earn your way there. And look at Washington, man. How freaking cool is it? That Washington, who, by the way, their last 10 games, Ross, their last 10 wins, they've won under 10 points. Like, hasn't been dominant, hasn't killed people, continued to win, continued to get rewarded, and now they're playing for a dang national title. It's unbelievable. And I think that's one of the things that jumps out to me the most. Usually, I feel like when you get to the college football playoff, the teams that have been undefeated it's like they're almost due for a loss as opposed to like a one-loss Bama or a one-loss Texas. But that's not what happened. I mean, we, we got the two undefeated teams, and they've both beaten everybody they faced all year. I think it makes Monday night even better. And I think the fact, whether it was Michigan or Alabama, David, I really feel like one way or the other, there was a team that people were going to root against, right? So Michigan... Yeah. I don't know if it's the Harbaugh thing or the cheating thing or whatever. Alabama, it was just people that thought it should have been Florida State instead of them. So I feel like a lot of people don't even know that much about Washington that are going to be rooting like heck for Washington Monday night just because they don't want Michigan to win. Uh, Correct. But first of all, Ross, hold up now. It ain't just because of the cheating scandal. Everybody would be pulling, or Bama. It ain't just because everybody would be pulling against Bama regardless. Like, people <laughs> aren't pulling for Bama. The, the world wants Bama to lose. I mean, the cheating scandal pissed people off and made people cheer against Michigan. But when they played Alabama, everybody still cheered for Michigan because they wanted Alabama to lose just because they've had, they've been so successful. But no, Washington, underdog story, underdog quarterback, underdog coach, like, there, there's nothing better than this. And here's the thing. Like, 
we talk about a, a day and age where it's all about recruiting. It's about getting the five stars, the blue chips. Washington's best players are three-star kids. They're guys that have been developed, that have been around for a little while now with Penix being in his second year. Their left tackle, who's – by the way, what are the most important positions in football, Ross? We're going to go quarterback. We're going to go edge rusher. We're going to go offensive tackle. And I'll say nowadays football, you're going to go wide receiver. Guess what Washington has, by the way? The Mr. Underdog. They got four guys that'll go in the first round probably in the, and one in each of those spots. I mean, think about that. Like, they are really good where it matters. If, if Ohio State, Alabama don't have those great quarterbacks, when, when they have, when the elite teams have the elite quarterbacks, it's over. It's a wrap. When they don't, teams can get beat. And now you see Alabama, they looked really fallible. You see Michigan win. But how about Monday night, the contrast of styles? We're going to pitch it all over the yard. We're going to pitch you right in the face if we're Michigan. So which style wins uh, a true blue blood versus a true underdog? I, I think America is definitely going to be with Washington. We're talking with longtime college football analyst and former Georgia All-American David Pollock. You know, I haven't heard you talk about this, David, or asked you this. How much does the Michigan cheating thing bother you? It bothers me. It, it bothers me just like the Patriots spygate. You know, like it bothers me because I think there are lines. I, listen, we know this, Ross. There's cheating in every level, and it's your job to to change your signs up, and it's your job to guard against it. You know, as much as possible and cover what you can cover. But there's also a line that you can't cross, and there's also a line like when you start filming different things, Patriots cheating, like big time cheating. Uh, when you start doing taking it to that level, I think it becomes it becomes a different animal, and and I think Michigan definitely took it there. And listen. You got one guy that takes the fall. Harbaugh gets suspended. To their credit, the way they've handled it has been amazing. And it's been a battle cry, right? It's been us against the world, and and they've kept it together and somehow haven't you know, lost focus. But, no, it's definitely disturbing. It, to me, it's just like the spy gate. It's taken too far. There, there, are, there are boundaries and there are rules that are strict. Listen, there are people every offseason that get hired from different schools for that purpose, to get their hand signals, to get their operating procedures, to understand what they do. Um, but to film different things and to do it to the extent that they did it to is, is unacceptable. You know, it's interesting Monday night, David. My initial reaction would have been that I think Michigan's just too good up front and can beat up Washington up front. I don't think that's the case. Washington's better up front than I realized watching them against Texas. Yeah, I mean, they, they got, a, again, an, an offense, a left tackle that's going to be drafted in the first round, an edge rusher that leads the nation the last two years in pressures. So, They've got some guys, man. They, they play physical. They play tough. They play hard. They play sound. Washington dealt with a little bit of injuries at safety. They were on their, like, fifth safety at one point. They've gotten healthier in the back end. They've got a really good corner in Prince, like a really good corner. So uh, it, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good defense. It's not a great defense. Uh, Michigan's pass rush was insane versus Alabama. Um, if they rush the passer like that and they can get pressure on Penix, that's the way – you can absolutely beat them. I'll, I'll be interested to see how how Washington – Texas had a lot of success running the football, Ross. Like, I think Michigan obviously has set up more to do that. I love the way Michigan finished that game against Alabama. Like, when it was nut-cutting time and it was time to, like, to win the football game, run, run, touchdown. Like, and they played physical smash mouth. So, I think it is contrasting styles. The key to me will be Penix Jr., and it will be his ability – to do what he did against Texas. When your offensive line gets beat, specifically in the interior, and they get beat, can you make a guy miss and deliver a strike? Because he did, man. Like, he consistently would. He's not a freak athlete, but he's got enough of that shake to step up and throw it. And when he throws it, you just – that thing comes out hot, and it comes out right down the field, 20-plus yards down the field. He's the best in the country, and it just drops in a bucket consistently. Just – it's unbelievable. So it'll be contrasting styles for sure. Yeah, I'm curious just your thoughts on sort of the state of college football right now. It's interesting because with all the transfer portal stuff and the NIL stuff, and then you have all these bowl games where we don't know who's playing, who's not. But then I was looking at the ratings for the bowl games. It doesn't seem to matter. It, it, it really doesn't matter. It's like, which by the way is a whole other conversation. People really are just rooting for the uniforms right like it doesn't matter necessarily who's in those uniforms has it taken away your love of the sport because i know you love college football has all the portal nil stuff 
hurt your affinity for the sport or not at all? Not at all. Um, I, I'll be honest, though, Ross. When it started happening, you're like, dude, what the heck is going on? Like, this is strange. This is weird. Um, but, man, the college football is just the pageantry and the, every Saturday and just the traditions. And, 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 listen, I'm from the South, right? So, like, this is not like a, a, a fandom thing that's one generation. This is like generation upon generation upon generations. Like, grandpas going to games with their grandsons and their, and their son. Like, it's a family affair, man. Like, it just – it runs so much deeper. And you could take D3 guys and get rid of all D1 guys, and you could put them in those D1 uniforms, and, and all those guys could go away, and everybody would still cheer for their squad. They would still cheer for their team. Like, there's just something about – and listen, I'll be honest. You know, I got canned this year, so being the first year being on the couch – like, it was fantastic to have a Saturday, <laughs> like, to watch, to just sit there and watch it all. Like, to see it, to see the different uh, the different games and just to follow it, it was cool, man, just to be a fan. And, um, listen, college football is, is healthy because all the, the generations of people that I'm an Ohio State fan, like, I'm a Georgia fan, I'm a Clemson fan. My granddaddy had tickets. I go, the stadiums are packed, the atmospheres are crazy. Um, does it leave more craziness and our coaches losing sleep because because the NCAA has done a horrible job of legislating the NIL and legislating the transfer portal? Yes. Does it leave, Does it give some people headaches and does it tick them off? Yes. Are they still going to wear their colors and watch their team on Saturday? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, if, if anything, it's weird because just seeing certain kids even go to the transfer portal this week, it's almost has like an NBA effect where it's like creates this off season of excitement and people it's, it keeps college football almost in the news more often. If that makes sense, it's, it's really strange. Appreciate the time. man. always good to see you. I mean, every once in a while I do just a little ice cream, no, like a little never. bit of ice cream. Never. Hey, here's the thing, Ross. Know thyself. Your boy is not a one-bite kind of guy, okay? If one bite goes down, 12 bites, 20 bites, 30 bites are going down. Don't need it, bro. Great to talk Food with you, man. Thanks, thanks so much for coming on the show. See you, brother. By the way, I, I've, I know several people that are like that. Food is fuel. Not for me. Food is joy. Food is happiness. Yes, food is fuel. I know food is fuel, guys. I have a, a couple friends that are food is fuel, guys. <laughs> you know, and this is no knock on David because he's an awesome guy. But on a Friday or Saturday night, I'm not looking to hang out with food is fuel, guys. Okay? I mean, I'm looking to hang out with food is joy, happiness, excitement. we got to dive into this when we return here. It's 41 minutes past the hour here on the Dan Patrick Show. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thing in this chair is all electric. Anytime I get a chance to fill in for Dan Patrick, Ross Tucker with you guys until noon Eastern time here on a Meet Friday Meathead James Vanderbeek. We'll get into that a little bit later. Right now, we've got my guy Tom Curran from NBC Sports Boston. Two very important topics to get to with Tom. Tom, always great to see you. Great to talk with you. Let's start with the awards because you are one of the, I don't know, is it 50 or whatever AP 50. voters, 50 AP voters. When are the, are the awards due? Like When do you have to get your vote in? A, the All-Pro is due Monday at 5, and the awards are due Wednesday at 5. Different format for the awards this year, too, Russ, because we're voting kind of in a in a 1 through 5 points value as opposed to just saying, this is my player of the year, this is my MVP. Now it's staggered. I can vote for 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 for MVP, so there'll be a point system involved, which is an interesting way to do it, and I think it's a great way to do it. I think it's a much better way to do it, don't you? Because, I mean, 100%. there might be a guy that gets a bunch of second-place votes or whatever, and other guys get some first-place votes, but then other people don't think they're as good for a certain award. That's, that's a more reasonable mathematical way to go about it. Yeah, and I remember, you know, we'll have the conversation forever about whether the quarterback should always be the MVP. I do tend to always err on the side of the quarterback because he handles the ball on every single play. He makes a decision. He holds the fortunes of the teams in his hand. He gets teams in and out of plays. He has to be the franchise hood ornament. So you have to be beyond exceptional to unseat a quarterback. But then you also, you know, I guess the obvious is Christian McCaffrey versus Lamar Jackson. Or even throw in CeeDee Lamb for the hell of it. Those three guys look to me, or Miles Garrett. You got four guys who could all be. You can make a case for each one in one way or another. So at if, least this way, you get to throw it at each guy somehow. Right. So if they asked you your opinion, would you want to wait till after the playoffs are over for these oh. awards? You know what? It's really an opportunity missed by the NFL to not have a playoff type MVP, like you know how they do an all tournament team in the NCAA's. Um, My point, Tom, is like, let's say you're torn on coach of the year between Kevin Stefanski and whoever wins the Texans-Colts game tomorrow night, right? Yep. Well, like, if the Browns go to the Super Bowl, the AFC Championship game, it would be stupid if it was like Steichen was the coach of the year. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like the playoffs matter. And for defensive player of the year and for – I think it's weird, and I understand why the vote is before the playoffs – but what we remember the most about a season is what happens in the playoffs. So to vote for the awards before the most important games happen, the games that we remember, it kind of skews things when we then think, wait a minute, that guy didn't win MVP or that guy wasn't Defensive Player of the Year? Uh, Micah Parsons had seven sacks in those two playoff you're right. games. You know? uh, you're know, you 100% right. And it's interesting because those are the games, like you'll look at, for instance, I've made the case that at least Julian Edelman should be spoken about in a Hall of Fame conversation. People go, he's never, he was never a pro bowler. He's never an all pro. And you say, you're right. You're exactly right. And those are the standards by which Hall of Fame voting is done to a large extent. You don't even get there if you don't have those things. But he's the second all-time leading receiver in the playoffs. And the number of memorable plays that he's made in Super Bowls and AFC Championship games 
should make him a fabric of the history of the NFL. Again, I'm not making a Hall of Fame case for Julian Edelman, but at least a consideration because those are the those are the more important games than the you know a December game between you know the Titans and the Panthers. I mean, whatever. Somebody goes off in that game, big deal. You go off in February, that's a big deal. So then my other question would be, like, let's say, for example, defensive player of the year, okay? Yes. I don't think Miles Garrett's going to play on Sunday for the Browns against the Bengals. I do think Micah Parsons plays against the Commanders. So how will you factor it in if Micah Parsons has three sacks against the Commanders, but Garrett didn't play I mean, is that a knock on Garrett? Uh, does it only help Parsons? Like, how do you how do you deviate between those two? Yeah, that's funny because, like, would I do that with the Week Ten matchups and compare the teams that they were going against in that one, and and go back and compare week to week? Who do they go against? Who do they play? Or do I look at the the body of work in games that mattered and say, okay? You have the best player on a defense that has carried a team to the playoffs. And is already there. And I think that I would, again, I'm going to spend more time on it, but I would lean towards Miles Garrett in that sense. Now, you're a voter too, right? No, I'm not. Oh, I thought you were. No, if I, I was, a, if I was a voter, I wouldn't have brought you in. I would have just said all this stuff myself. Good point by you. <laughs> Good point by you. No. What would you, what would you do with your... Um, what would you do with your Coach of the Year vote? And should, oh, I, I, think it's, I think it's Kevin Stefanski. Should quarterbacks get the benefit of the doubt that we tend to give them as MVPs? I feel really strongly that, that you give 25% weight to playing that position. Yeah, I think it's that valuable. I mean, and honestly, you know, even like when you talk to like guys about betting in sports books, other players don't move the line, the betting line, nearly as much as quarterbacks, which if we're talking value, if we're talking how many points they make a difference in the outcome of games as great as McCaffrey is, you know, it's just very difficult when you compare it to a quarterback. I have a question for you. What do they tell you guys about comeback player of the year? Because that is such a weird award. And it's like, well, I don't know. I guess Brock Purdy came back from elbow surgery and Joe Flacco came back from retirement or the couch. And, you know, DeMar Hamlin came back from obviously that, horrific, uh, tragic, in- almost tragic incident. Like, I don't know how you're comparing these guys because it's like three different animals. Yeah, it's completely, you know, subjective. And with DeMar Hamlin, has his have his contributions to the Bills been the same that Baker Mayfield or Joe Flacco's were? Certainly not. Was his situation miles and miles and galaxies more dire than theirs and the point to which he came back he traveled a further road yeah he definitely did so are we talking about the impact made and the place that you started at as that's a breathtaking comeback or production on the field so there's no guidance given it's a subjective measure and i think that that is just a great conversation point too as to what would you use as a fan? Because there's no way to measure. What would you use as a fan to measure um, the comeback? What Talk, would you say? Uh, well, I think you got to perform on the field. I think it's not just coming back from something. I think you have to then take it. On. I mean, awards are supposed to be for accomplishments on the field, not just getting back. I feel like Hamlin's like in a different category. It's know. you know what I mean. It's. Uh, it makes it tough. We're talking with my buddy Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston, and he's got a perfect backdrop, which lets you know that he's the host of the Patriots Talk podcast, which is awesome. Let's get into that, by the way, Tom. I, you probably I, Here's my first question. On a daily basis, how many people ask you what's going to happen with Belichick? When you walk around, when you're anywhere in your life, you go to the mall. Do people still mm-hmm. go to malls? Whatever. Wherever you go, when you're around family, how many times a day do you think someone asks you what's going to happen with Belichick? I would say the percentage of people asking me in a setting in which the gym, <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, I would say it's really close to, uh, it's a percentage, call it 70%. 
What's going to happen? What's going to happen with Bill? So what, what do, do you? So so typically, do you go and get the donuts and coffee before you work out or after you work out? That's going to be uh It's just going to be a coffee first <laughs> off. We're not going to go with the donuts. We're going to get the coffee early. And we're going to work out later. But in the course of the conversation, I, I say what I'll tell you what I say. They made a decision. Can Bill wriggle off the hook? Can Bill somehow be persuasive enough in a meeting at the end of the season for the crafts to change their minds and say, you know what, let's run it back. Look, the, the circumstances don't lend themselves right now to us moving on. Because, Ross, that's, that's the crux of it. As I reported you know, in mid-December, at that juncture, after they had come out of Germany, not because of the game in Germany and the loss to the Indianapolis Colts, but at that point, conversations I had indicated strongly that the Patriots were going to part ways with Bill at the end of the season and a decision had been made. Has he done enough in the five weeks since to change it? Or as ownership scrutinizes the situation, do they say, are we setting ourselves up to be a better team next year? Is this what's good for the football team? And that's a question that I think they certainly have to answer before they make the ultimate decision on Bill and actually follow through with it. So you can make a decision. You and I can both decide to you know, jump off a cliff. But if we both get to that cliff, I go, Ross, it's pretty hot. It's kind of windy. Do you want it to come back tomorrow when it's less windy? <laughs> do, you, do you think he definitely wants to be back? Every indication I've gotten from folks uh, reporting on it have has indicated that he does. Okay, because I, I didn't know if maybe he was ready to go to the Chargers or go somewhere else and try to try to win and 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 break this record sooner. Yeah, but the interesting thing, and I spoke to somebody on the staff uh, yesterday. They said one of the most remarkable things about this has been Bill's consistency. He has shown not one inkling of drama. He hasn't blinked a bit. He hasn't mentioned it. The staff is completely in the dark and. Given the Kraft family has not yet spoken with Bill Belichick, our buddy Mike Reese reporting that Monday is when the conversation will take place, Bill's in the dark. So as of this time, there's no conversation held, which to me, it seems really hard, Ross, doesn't it, to sit down on Monday and start trying to figure out how the best way to move forward is if you're going to keep Bill. You agree with me? Absolutely. If they were going to keep him, they would already be talking about off-season plans and stuff like that. Let me ask you this, Tom. What would be his argument? Like, pretend I'm Robert Kraft Perfect. and you're Bill Belichick, and we sit down and I say, "Bill, I think I think we're going to move on." Like, try to try to sell me on on your Bill Belichick. Try to sell me on why I should keep you. Perfect. It look. It's been one season. Okay, we were eight and nine. I kind of thought we were heading in the right direction with Matt last year you didn't mac jones was playing well at the end of the year well you wanted to switch it offensive coordinator and i love bill o'brien so i said all right let's make that switch in the end mac regressed we had injuries we had cole strange out we had michael wenu out we had uh our right tackles who i signed in free agency neither of them were able to get on the field period so our offensive line was in disrepair so we weren't able to protect mac and as a result his decision making really ended up being pretty bad so we were victimized by injuries. But if you look, Robert, you look at our defensive side of the ball, we lost Matt Judon and Christian Gonzalez, our two best defenders. And we are one of the best teams in the league defensively. And if it wasn't for the turnovers and if it wasn't for the mistakes, we would be fine. Now we got a quarterback, heavy draft. We got a top five pick. We got $68 million worth of cap space. Don't you want somebody who's experienced at the point of the spear here making these decisions? I can take care of this. It's There's circumstances that injected themselves into this year that made it this way. But, so don't talk to me about the Brady decision. Don't talk to me about the money that we spent in free agency two years ago. Don't talk to me about all the draft picks we've missed. Robert, you know and I know that I'm the greatest coach of all time, and I stand on that. But, Bill, <laughs> it's not a one-year thing. It's been three out of the last four years, and you're the guy in charge of everything. So... Why would your backup quarterback be a guy that you were willing to cut and put on the practice squad in Bailey Zappi? You could have given yourself a better option there in case Mac Jones faltered. Yeah, you got me on that one. <laughs> I mean, Joe, I mean, look, look at Joe Flacco. He's standing out there. He's minding his own business. We certainly could have brought him in in August and not have to have suffered through Mac. 
You know what's interesting, Tom, by the way? And, and I don't know how often you go on stations in other cities. Mm -hmm. The thing that's most interesting to me, do you know that these other cities, they don't want him. Yeah, you know, like, in other words, I've been on in D.C., and I said, I think there's a decent chance you guys get Belichick because I think Josh Harris will, you know, he's a hedge fund guy. It's buying low, buying Belichick low, and it gives credibility. And he's like, we don't want him. I'm like, what do you mean? They, they estimated 10% of Washington football fans would want Belichick. Then I'm on in Charlotte, and I thought, I can see Tepper doing that. Tepper sure. needs some credibility. Tepper needs a guy like this. They don't want him down there either. And maybe it's just short attention span, and maybe if they hired him, Tom, they would feel differently. But I was blown away how many of these fan bases don't seem to want – like it, it would not be a slam dunk – home run, people excited about a hire because of and what I've happened said, this year. I've said the same thing, you know, beginning when the speculation was was hot or began to warm up. I said, I don't know if people are going to be lining up for Bill Belichick, and people in our market said, you're crazy. There's definitely going to be people. And I've actually moved off of that stance, given after my report how many people said teams will line up. But I think fans who say, I don't think I want that guy, are looking at the draft history, are looking at the offense and saying it's an offensive league and they're scoring 10 points a game. And the reason they're scoring 10 points a game isn't because of Bill O'Brien. And it's not totally because of Mac Jones. It's because of the totality of the decisions made on the offensive side of the ball. Jacoby Myers is going off on another 70-catch season for 700 yards. And the Patriots said, no, we don't want him. Give us Juju. The guy's right in front of you and you don't want him. Tom Brady's right in front of you. And you're trying to move him out the door. And you finally get him out, and he goes and wins a Super Bowl. So to me, Ross, you were here when the Patriots were an outstanding team. Bill's involvement with offense and his ability, his ability to cultivate offense has always been propped up, helped, aided by very able assistant coaches, whether it be your line coach here, Dante Scarnecchi, or the offensive coordinator. And I think that's where the, the rubber meets the road for Bill's next spot. So there's a strong possibility, Tom, this is his last game there and last press conference. Will you miss him and his press conferences? Or if you're being honest, will you be glad he's gone? Oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely miss him, Ross. Definitely. I mean, it's if, if it comes to pass, it's 24 years of covering the guy. I was here when he was here in 2000. We had a lot of good times in press conferences, a lot of laughs, even conversations on the phone and in person, away from the stadium. So it's been a good relationship. It's just that's where the, you know, being at cross-purposes exists with being a media person who does analysis as well as information gathering. You have to analyze the direction of the team and opinionize on, well, why are they the way they are? So that is going to end up fracturing a relationship if I keep saying, look, Bill has run this team kind of into a ditch and it's smoking and you have to make a decision to move on. Um, that's the job, to look at it objectively, but certainly the what the you know what he has meant to this region, the success I've had in this business, and the number of times I've been on Dan Patrick is thanks in large part to the fact I covered a team that he was at the front of and help to make as good as it was. So it's been helpful for me, obviously. It's a really, really good point, Tom. Always great to talk with you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. All right, buddy. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Absolutely. There he is, Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 